On the show today, gaming in the clouds, licenses in the trash, and saints in the streets in 3, 2, 1... Alex, are you going to build a snowman? God, no. Why would I want to do that thing like that? Have you seen the graphics outside? Uh, I know. It's like, just like, how much white did you want to put into this landscape, guys? It's washing all over. Yeah, exactly. The white balance is just all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, turn down those graphic settings. Well, until we build Olaf, uh, oh, hi, everybody, and welcome to Total Pebble Knockdown. I am Nathan. I am Alex. And boy, do we have a show for you, we think. Not sure, actually. We'll find out. <laughs> we are going to uh, do a little bit of a eulogy today. We, we gotta oh, do Oh, great. Let me just dust off my funeral clothing. You're gonna dust, the, dust off the funeral clothing. Uh, press F to pay respects because um, Google Stadia is uh, is is gone. It's officially dead. It's officially dead. Uh, Stadia released a statement to say that at the end of the day, uh, Pacific Standard Time, uh, they were going to be signing off from the cloud. Uh, and y'all be good to each other and stay safe out there, which means that the cloud servers are, are, are down finally for, for Google Stadia. Now, the thing about it is, is that we kind of knew that this was going to happen, mm. uh, but this is just the, the official cloud servers are off, and it's a cloud gaming platform, so do you have any interest in actually utilizing... Uh, no. Okay, no. why would I even bother asking, right? <laughs> I, didn't, I, have, I, I have a computer that can run games, why would I need cloud gaming platforms? That's true. Uh, originally, it would have been Project Yeti. Um, reports are that they might have been working on this as early as 2016, and then Project Stream was uh, announced in, in 2018, just to kind of give people some, some idea. Uh, Google Stadia uh, didn't come into, like, I don't think, till 2019 or 2020 they actually released the platform. The idea, for people who are not aware, is that Stadia was going to basically be uh, like a console console of sorts, where you would be able to run all of your games directly over cloud gaming. You wouldn't really need hardware in your hands or in your home. You would have your Stadia account, and you'd run them all from centralized servers. So, if you, for Does- instance, yes... Doesn't GeForce have the GeForce experience where you can do the same kind of thing running on their servers? Not only that, not only that, but now if you have like Game Pass, Xbox Game Pass, they are experimenting with cloud gaming options as well. So you can actually run a lot of those games without downloading them and run them over cloud. Uh, directly. So if you, for instance, saw one of the day one releases on the platform, and you were like, I don't really want to download it, most of those actually have the cloud gaming option so that you can play them right over the internet. For people who are, are still a little lost, think of it this way. You can either have the data on your console, on your computer, in your home, 
or the data can be on a centralized server somewhere else, and you play the game from the actual internet line, from your Ethernet. Yeah. Um, so it's akin to playing like an online game like World of Warcraft, where you rely on the servers, except none of the yeah, software is on your computer. You just play it through the account. Right. Now, theoretically, there are some big benefits to this. Um, one of the big benefits, of course, is that you don't need to have a really powerful gaming rig or anything like that, or even a console, to say that you can actually play these games. And technically, if you're playing them with enough bandwidth, you could play a lot of really top-end games uh, with, like, full 4K graphic settings and all the like. There are a couple little stumbling blocks that they were coming along with initially. One is that you need to have a pretty good internet connection that's going right. to produce pretty high speeds consistently. And then you have the other problem of lag. Yeah. Lag was a big one when it first released, and it's not even so much that it was just the lag of, oh, I have to wait, like, a second or two between pushing a button input and getting a reaction. Because, again, now your game is being run off of a server somewhere else, so there's going to be a little bit of lag. But the problem that Stadia had originally, and they did tests on this, is that the lag was inconsistent. Sometimes right. it would be a second, sometimes it would be three seconds, and you didn't know. So uh, playing any kind of shooter was going to be nearly impossible because yeah. you need to have, like, split-second timing on anything like that. I've got 60 FPS of a three-second lag. I am going to get absolutely owned if I try to do an online shooter. Just try to, just, just imagine trying to play Call of Duty and getting... Yeah. Or, or, I mean... One, I'd have to play Call of Duty, but... They suffered from a few other problems. They didn't really have much for exclusives. A lot of third-party content was having trouble getting over onto the system as well. They didn't have, like, a rich gaming library like, like, at Game Pass. Like, they were so far away from that. <laughs> I, I can't imagine when they were going to actually get, get a platform like that. Google reportedly also didn't make it particularly easy for the developers to port games that were already existing over. Are you telling me Google doesn't know how to do things correctly? I would never suggest such a thing to our Google overlords. Um, I, a lot of the large tech industries have a tendency to uh, like start a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. but not really be able to follow through on all of them. Uh, once, like Amazon Games. Uh, How's New World doing these days? Yeah, exactly. What essentially then happens is that if there are any kind of stumbling blocks or it's not going the way that they want, they don't, uh, you know, support it for long term. I think back on the video game companies like the console wars that we've had over the course of time. And one of the reasons why they stuck around is because they seem to understand that it wasn't going to be easy starting up. Like, the original Xbox was... Like, they seem to understand we're coming into a space that's already dominated by a couple well-known brands, and we're going to have to stick it out and work on it. And then they mm. did, and Microsoft has definitely won out in that respect. But yeah, didn't weren't Xboxes originally like a net loss for Microsoft? I I believe they were. I believe they were, and they kind of knew that going but in. They didn't care. They're like, you know, we've got the capital that we can put the money into this. It can be a loss, and we can still, you know, sell these. Yeah, for Microsoft, they realized that it was worthwhile enough to be an industry leader in the gaming market 
that they were willing to take losses on it to begin with. Right. I think one of the problems is that Google uh, sees like a stumbling block like that and kind of goes, oh, this isn't working the way we wanted to. And then they'll just walk away from it entirely. They so, do that with a lot of their products. They they have. They have. Um, Google Glass. Google Google. Google everything. Yeah. A lot of their projects just Google just Google Glass. They end up using the stuff they learn from it on other places typically, but Yeah, I mean yeah. it's a good it's a learning experience. Chances are, and this is probably the takeaway we should use from Stadia, is that it's not that the idea of cloud gaming is a bad one, but I don't think the market was there yet. Uh and I think that it, it in the future uh, it probably will be. Stadia was one of the first steps in trying to make that happen. Uh, but I, I just feel like it was probably a little too early and in conceptual stages at that time. Um, probably. Yeah. Now, the the problem, too, and I, I don't know if this is my existential issue, is that I don't really know if I like the idea of moving completely to cloud gaming because what happens when they say, well, here's a game that just doesn't sell very well and we're just not going to have it available. There's no physical copies that people own of the game. Well, that doesn't bother me too much at all these days because, like, most computers that you get built or, like, for gaming rigs aren't really equipped with optical drives anymore. That's true. That's true. But so, like, ask me the last time I bought a physical game. Okay, when no was idea. the last... Why'd you, why'd you tell me to ask you the question then? It's been years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, I think the last, the last time I bought a physical game was probably for the 3DS, and it was after the game had already been like out for a while. Okay. And um, it's a game, like a game I can no longer buy a digital copy of. Oh, okay. No, I understand that. I think the last physical copy that I built was... Uh, that I bought was uh, Borderlands 3. So that was 2019. But the thing about it is that I do still have a bunch of discs for my Xbox One. That sure, will... I have a lot of discs for my PS2 as well. Yeah. The thing about it is, though, is that those discs that I have for my Xbox One are still playable on the Series X. So I always have that media, and I can utilize it on the, the systems themselves. Uh, I think the problem is that it, if we ever move to a, a point where everyone's just doing like the subscription style cloud gaming portion and there are games that just aren't doing very well and don't serve the company to utilize, I don't know if those games just kind of get lost to the ether. Maybe that's me and my game preservation part where I think it's important to keep this stuff around or, or archived for the future. Yeah. But. Well, that's what emulators are for at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, as long as you can get your hands on that, I suppose. This has been uh, Rest in Pieces. Rest in Pieces, Google Stadia. Rest, rest in Product Hell. Rest in Processing, <laughs> Google Stadia. An interesting idea that just wasn't really made for an oh, audience. Uh, uh on a side note, though, I do believe that during the last days, they were like, okay, yeah, so we're going to be shutting this down, but you guys have already bought your games, so we're going to try to hook you up with getting these games through other services without extra cost for you. So at least they did that. At least they did that, yeah. Because it is, that is one of those things for the consumer aspect I was also a little concerned with, that if your games are completely um, 
reliant on a server that somebody else has that you might not be able to access the games that you bought. So I'm certainly hoping that they're doing what they can for the people that did invest into Stadia. It's sort of like uh, Elite Dangerous when they stopped their console development. They went, hey, we're going to cease console development and just focus on the PC development because it's the process between getting it from like computer is a lot easier than getting it out on consoles and then going through their update process and everything. And to keep everything in line, it's kind of a real hassle. Oh, yeah. Um, so they just have been, hey, we're gonna cease console and focus on this. You can still play it on console, it's just not gonna have any more updates. And all the players on console are, like, up in arms. They're like, hey, what we'll do is anyone on console who wants and has it will give you a free copy of this on either Epic or Steam or whatever your online preference is on the PC. Sure. We'll give you a free copy and we'll transfer over your accounts. Do they have to? No. Is it good faith they did? Okay. Absolutely. If you are somebody who actually did play with Stadia and have thoughts on it, I'd kind of like to know what the experience was like and if you feel like Google actually serviced you at the end of its lifespan uh, so that you were able to still keep your stuff. Last uh, time we did Soapbox, you had some thoughts. This time, I wanted to talk about something. So, as many people might know, there's been a lot of discussion going on right now about D&D and the open gaming license. Yeah, it's almost like it, it, it's all over my uh, YouTube feed all the time right now. Oh, yeah, it's pretty much everything I see when I go on any social media site and pretty much all over YouTube. So, yeah, uh, and here's the thing. We're kind of choosing people that are more qualified to talk about that, talk about it than we are. Also, exactly. waiting until there's actual information that isn't just uh, legit information. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know if you heard the update that they had come out with a statement that they're doing something about uh, open feedback. They're going to be doing a playtesting of, like, a, like, an open gaming license that would be, like, available forever, which I'm, I'm sure is a thing that they're trying to get some better PR on. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what that happens. Uh, anyway, the, uh, the old school reporter in me wants to just say, uh, since we're not really as qualified as other people to discuss it, uh, please do not get all of your news source from one source. Read everything, take everything that you hear with a grain of salt, and if it really does matter to you, do the research. Be aware that there's constant updates on this stuff, and um, know what sources you are getting your news from. And make sure that it's many of them, <laughs> so that you can verify with other people. I guess this is my soapbox at the moment. Getting your news from a single source is, is one of the worst things that you can do. <laughs> for for your uh, for your edification and your your information um it leads you down a wormhole yeah uh, don't trust us for your news we're we're bad faith actors we're we're bad faith <laughs> actors we're 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 not nearly as knowledgeable especially on this uh topic however there is one thing that i did want to discuss uh which is tangential to this which is about third party content and more importantly, about how important third-party content is for your brand. And this doesn't just extend to D&D. Third-party content is 
very important not just to keep your brand active, but keep your brand expanding. Um, and uh, exciting as well. And exciting, exactly. Uh, some of the things that happened with D&D, I, I was watching something just the other day where they mentioned about how there was a whole supplemental book that was third-party content that talked about ancestries and lineages way before D&D ever decided to address the idea of race. Those are things that like started as conversations in third-party content. One of the examples, though, that I will talk about right here is in a video game context. So you might have known about a little game that was once called, uh, what was it called? Uh, Fallout New Vegas. You, you remember Fallout New Vegas? Okay. Mm -hmm. You might have remembered that Fallout New Vegas had a feature in that game that was not in Fallout 3. Do you know what it is? Uh, mod support? So yeah, actually gun mod support was the big thing that they added in. However, the reason why they put it in was because there was third-party mods that they had made for Fallout 3 to put those mods in. Okay. Uh, when they talked to the creative team who made New Vegas, they specifically cited that the reason why they had put those gun mods in the game was because it was such a popular thing as a mod to Fallout 3. Yeah. Their game was made better and more features were added in because third-party development happened. <laughs> because yeah. people outside of the game community themselves happened. So on that same note with video games, I'm sure you've heard of a, a small a small game that's called uh, League of Legends. League of Legends, yes I have. Uh, cool. You know, it's... It's pretty, uh, pretty popular game. I've heard. Here. It's got a lot of people that play it. Esports oh. up, up the ass. Mm -hmm. um, so, are you familiar with the origins of uh, League of Legends? No, actually, I am not. Please tell okay, me. Okay, so quick rundown of this: League of Legends is an adaptation from a game called Dota: Dawn of the Ancients, which itself was a spawn from a third-party map creation game mode for Warcraft. Three people making a map in Warcraft 3 for this game mode spawned that into Dota, which then spawned League of Legends. Right. So through third-party content of just making a map that did something different, people made this incredibly popular thing that became this giant game all of its own. Right. <clears throat> right. And that and of course, made a lot of money. <laughs> then that made not for. Uh, here's the thing. It made a lot of money. Yeah. For the people that weren't directly responsible for it being made. Blizzard didn't get any money out of this. And this mm. is why when they did Warcraft 3 Reforged, mm -hmm. and part of their license agreement was that any maps you make are a property of us, and we own them, mm. and you can't make money on these or use them other places, and people were like... Was League of Legends? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Was um, that because of League of Legends? It's be they, they wrote that in because of League of Legends existing because of that. Right. Which right. I'm sure is what Watsi did, the reason with their OGL that they're trying to do. Or, uh, right. I'm sure that's one of the reasons they're like, hey, let's copy that. Except if you had done your fucking homework, yeah. you would have been like, oh, Warcraft 3 Reforged fucking flopped. A League of Legends or anything keeps that whole brand around. One of the other ones that I'd like to mention, a very famous one, is around Half-Life 2. Because you might remember that Valve came out with a little game that was pretty popular called Half-Life 2. 
Uh, but from that, there were mod communities that made some games off of that. You mm-hmm. might have remembered some things like, oh, I don't know, Counter-Strike, Team Fortress, yeah. or a little thing called Portal. Well, anyway, <laughs> those weren't built by, like, the Valve team themselves. Like, <laughs> originally, those were mod teams that were building off of the framework. Yeah. But that didn't stop Valve from eventually kind of going, oh, these are really good ideas, hiring a lot of the people that actually worked on those, making them into full games, and eventually making a ton of money on the back end <laughs> off of the Orange Box and the sequels that they made for all of those games. Yeah. On the, ta- on the tabletop side, you have things like Pathfinder, which was spawned out of the 3.5. Yeah. It was people going... We want to take what 3.5 D&D did and build off that and make our own game. Mm-hmm. And they did. And Pathfinder became wildly successful. Again, companies don't understand sometimes that allowing your player base and your biggest fans to create content that is adjacent to what you make is good for business in the end. You may oh, yeah. lose money by them selling that product later, but it's good for your brand. Yes. Because it gives you lots of trust and faith. Look. The thing is, can you tell me that if Skyrim didn't have mod support, people would still play it 11 years after its initial release, and they would have been able to get 16 different versions out there? (laughs) I will say I do know one person that's going to be listening to this that plays Skyrim without mods, but it's because they're a lore junkie. Yes. And so what keeps them in the game is the lore in the game. I know you're listening, so we're not... Not shitting on you, but no. but <laughs> I think but. I think the mods add a lot of different things. To that again, you don't get twenty thousand mods available for a game because people don't like it. Exactly, you get twenty thousand mods for a game because people love the game and the framework you gave them and the ability to do different things with it. Absolutely, um, there is uh, one that's coming out just so that you know about it too. I've seen trailers for it. There's going to be a big mod called Sky Oh, Oblivion. Sky Oblivion. Yeah, I saw, yeah. I saw news about that, too. Of course, I, what I'd really like to see is Skywind, as a lot of people made note, because Morrowind really needs an update. And actually, on a side note, folks, what about Arena and Daggerfall? Daggerfall needs a Skyrim update. I don't think, it's, I don't think you could make it big enough for Daggerfall. That's true. Daggerfall was huge. Yeah, Dagger, Daggerfall is like the largest map of any of the uh, Elder Scrolls games. <laughs> being able to have like people go and try to make something off of your framework just makes the framework more valuable. And I think that that's really the key. At the end of the day, for D&D, having people make third-party content, sure, they'll make money on it. You might not, Watsy, if you're listening, because I know you are, if you might not make money off of the third-party content. I understand that. I get that. But do you know what the folks are going to need if they're going to play that third-party content? Player's handbooks and monster manuals and and the DM's guide. Like, that stuff they're going to still need and they're going to want to buy or they're going to use D&D Beyond. And you know what? you know who gets the money for that? You do. You do, and if they're not going to play that third-party content that's going to get them in or keep them playing, not as many people are going to buy your thing. <laughs> and they're going to move to other systems like we're, we're seeing with like Project Black Flag or the ORC that, that are being yeah. uh, proposed right just, now. Just imagine if instead of being D&D, Critical Role had been Pathfinder. Pathfinder would have been huge right now. Yeah. It would have gotten a lot... Like, 
I'm not going to say that D&D's success was specifically based on how many different outlets in the media, like in television and movies and everything, started to reference it. But it was not hurt by it in any way, shape, or form. And if there was a different RPG that was being used, you would have seen more exposure for it directly that would have led to more sales of whatever they ended up using. After Critical Role, Adventure Zone, Stranger Things, all of those places kind of popularized the idea of playing Dungeons and Dragons and what that all meant, that's a lot of exposure. And if we were to then say that, oh, well, you can't actually do that unless you give us money, yeah. would would hinder them uh, tremendously. Now, that's not to say, just to clarify one thing, um, that Critical Role would necessarily have to pay a lot of money to, to WOTC uh, for the content that they're making. Uh, because that's not technically like third-party content as defined. But it would be harder for people to have inroads if there wasn't such an open system where people could develop off of it and, and would give people less options, less material that they could use for your system. And if there's less material that's usable for your system, there's less use of your system. Yeah. Ba that's basically what it amounts to, which is the reason why a lot of game devs, ones that have done very well for themselves for that matter have not only uh, accepted that there's going to be mod support, third-party development, but have embraced it. And the more that they embrace it, the more they seem to get out of it. It's the reason why Bethesda now will pretty much put direct mod support and, and marketplaces in their games yeah. for you to utilize. Without yeah. having to try to go into the files and everything, like where where there's actual even, even going back download. to like Activision Blizzard, you know, World of Warcraft supports mods. Yeah, they can't change the nature of the game, but you can have visual and, and overlays and things that keep track of things for you. Mm -hmm. Even some macros, as long as it doesn't interfere and like bot the game. Yeah, they're pretty much fine with it. And uh, while we're on the subject of Blizzard. Think about what StarCraft, WarCraft, or any of the other strategy games would have looked like if they didn't have map editing, where yeah. you could download, where you could make your own maps and then upload them for other people to play. It would look like WarCraft 3 Reforged. Exactly. It would look exactly <laughs> like that. We <laughs> saw how well failure. that worked out. <laughs> we'll see how well that worked out. So yeah, in short, to game developers that are out there, Watsi, I know that you're listening, but also to anybody else who's understand that there is not only value but there is a real reason why people uh accept and embrace the idea of third-party content it might not benefit you financially directly but it does affect you in in like a tertiary sense it does a lot of heavy lifting even with just the promotion of your system that frankly if you think about how much people usually have to spend on promotions think about what that valuation is of what you usually have to do for advertising budgets now imagine if everybody else is basically doing it for you <laughs> and and think that 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 has value as well if you end up creating something that's going to kill that off well it's it's shooting yourself in the foot what would the check be to see if i don't if i shoot myself in the foot what are you checking uh, I'm checking to see if I don't shoot myself in the foot when I try to pull out my gun. Sleight of hand? 
sleight of hand. Yeah, if I fail a sleight of hand roll, you scored a yeah. one on a sleight of hand roll. You shoot yourself in the thigh and bleed out in minutes. In minutes, yep. <laughs> Create a new character. Uh, if you have any other examples, though, of uh, where mods and third-party support really helped out a game, uh, please let me know in the comments down below. I have a game you didn't think we'd play. Alex? I didn't play it. You didn't play this. No, I, I can almost guarantee you, you did not play this. But it might, it might surprise you that I actually went and played this. I'm no stranger to open world games. Mm -hmm. I've played quite a few of them. Have you ever played a, a Grand Theft Auto? Yeah. Okay, great. Not in several years, but I've played them. Now, have you ever played some of the iterations of it? Like, let's say, the Saints Row series? No. No. Okay. Uh, I've played most of them. Mm. Uh, and then they announced the new one. Yeah. And mm. and I sat there and thought to myself, oh, okay. The thing about it was that uh, they kind of had to reboot the entire franchise, which you understand when you've played previous Saints Row games. Uh, because I played 2, 3, and 4, and I can tell you that after Saints Row 4, spoilers right now for anyone who hasn't played Saints Row 4, which came out like five years ago, but just so you're aware, the storyline of Saints Row 4 is that you, as the leader of the Third Street Saints, uh, become the President of the United States, you fight off an alien invasion, you get trapped in a uh, virtual landscape where... Uh, Kinsey ends up hacking it so that you can get superpowers and you fend off an alien invasion after they destroy the Earth. And then in the subcontent, in, in the DLC, you end up fighting a supervillain named the Dominatrix by riding a raptor through the streets during like a, a full-on invasion. Uh, and they have raptor laser eyes. So that's fun. Perfect. Um, that was followed up by Gad Out of Hell, where literally Johnny Gad and Kenzie Kensington go down to hell, get angelic powers, and have to fight demons so that the boss doesn't have to marry the devil's daughter. So, sure. so yeah. what does this all have to do with games you played? Ah, uh, I played the new Saints Row. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what this basically amounts to. That I did not gather that from the way you were just talking tangentially. Oh, okay. So, but didn't it leave you in suspense? Weren't you on the edge of your seat? Anyway. I was wondering where you were going. Okay, great. Anyway, I got off on a tangent. Yes, so I... I so you played the new Saints Row game? I have played the new Saints Row game. Saints Row, the, the Saints Row. Saints the, the reboot. Saints Row, uh, parentheses, 2022. <laughs> Because you, you have to do that because we can never come up with a new name. And what they decided to do with this one is basically say we're, we're going to shuffle everything else off to the side and we're going to start new with new characters and a new yeah. world. So I've heard some people talk about this already, mainly like Yahtzee. I think it was one of his blandest games of 2022. Yep, not the bad category, but the bland category. Bland is worse. Bland is worst. <laughs> Bland is the worst. As he explains it, best games are good games, worst games are just really bad games, but bland games are forgettable. Are forgettable. Yeah. Bad games aren't forgettable. They're right. They're just bad. They're just bad. Uh, so, let me tell you a little bit about 
the new Saints Row. It's maybe not as bad as some people made it out to be, and probably not as good as people want it to be. Is yeah, the best that's why way it's in the bland category. Exactly, and I understand that entirely. I don't know if I had really high expectations going into the game anyway, uh, but I did know that like I played previous Saints Row games, and I know what I really want out of a Saints Row game. You know, there's there's that, um, and I feel like it gave me some of it, but not nearly as much as you're used to. It's not over the top in the way that previous Saints Row games were. Um, and, uh, and, and I think it does that on purpose. I think it purposefully doesn't want to be over the top, because if you remember the original Saints Row, it was actually fairly grounded. And then, as the sequels came in, it became so over the top and absurdist that it really set itself apart from, like, the Grand Theft Auto that it might have been trying to model. The story basically starts out in media rest. <laughs> where you are in this old church and you have created the Third Street Saints, or or I guess just the Saints in this particular iteration. Uh, and you are an aspiring boss, and you and your friends have, have built this uh, out of the remnants of them coming from other gangs. It starts pretty much where during the party that you're having, uh, a bunch of people come in, shoot up the place, and as far as you can tell, you are getting buried in a shallow grave. Perfect. Then it jumps back in time a bit to where you are starting your first day as a paramilitary contractor and, and end up taking down like a, a pretty big character uh, in the game. And that's pretty much like your first day on the job. Uh, things kind of go progressively worse for you. Uh, and you get fired pretty straight <laughs> straight out of this of this PMC, and then you and your friends decide that you're going to build the, the saints. So the majority of the game is basically you just building up this empire. So a couple things that you might remember from previous Saints Row games are oh, you wouldn't. Sorry. <laughs> Anybody who's played Saints Row might remember from previous games is a lot of the mini games and some of the other sensibilities of Saints Row are still here. I'll give you some positives. They actually work on this concept of you actually building an empire in a way that they didn't in previous Saints Row games. Usually in the old Saints Row games, what they would do is they would either have different territories that you'd start to take over, or they would just kind of like lead you through the story and it was in an open world. So you'd just go story mission, story mission, story mission. What they do in this one is that you have story missions that you complete, but then they also have like this empire map. And by spending money that you've accrued, you can buy lots and put down businesses. And those businesses open up the mini games themselves. Okay. And by completing those mini games, it increases the amount of money that you get every hour. So if you're in the real like game world, can you go to the businesses you own? Yes. Yes. So they have the, the whole map of the, the landscape that you're in. And this one is set like out west this time. And, uh, it, you know, you, you have these different lots that are just open lots. And you can set down different businesses. And one of them is like the medical clinic. And that opens up your insurance fraud, for instance. You get 
uh, like a, a chop shop, and that opens up the missions where you have to steal certain cars and bring them back. So you get a whole range of missions. That leads you to the whole quest where completing the seven or eight missions or whatever will unlock some special features, but also the amount of money that they'll make every hour. And you can also increase that by edging out the gangs that are in that area as well. So if I can give one big positive to the Saints Row game, it's that they do try to emphasize the idea of actually creating your criminal empire and building it out and right. deciding where everything is going to go on the map and, uh, and, and running those missions to actually increase your sphere of influence. And then you get money every hour by doing that and you can download it into your accounts. And to be fair... The characters are not as annoying as you might think they are. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're good, but it does mean that they're not nearly so they're as annoying. they're not the guns in High on Life? They are not the guns on, in High on Life, which is another game we'll talk about at some point. But uh, yeah, they're, they're not always in your ear. Uh, in fact, they're usually only in your ear when you specifically say that you're going to choose a mission. When you say, this is the mission I'm going to track, they will talk to you. They don't usually talk to you outside of that. Liked the uh, character customization options. You can give yourself, like, metal skin. Love that as an option. You also, in your church, will collect these pictures. You can take photos of various objects. And when you find those objects in the world, you can actually place them in your church as like 3D printed objects that you made out of the different landscape items. So there's the way that you unlock fast travel points too is you have to take pictures of the icons where those fast travel points are and then you unlock it. So they're they're trying a few things. That's cool. Yeah. That's yeah, they they got some they got some things going on there. Now for kind of like the the negatives. The actual fighting mechanics are not the best to be honest with you. Um, the gunplay is okay. Your enemies are much more damage sponges than they used to be. There's um, a whole mechanism that they use where it's like you can power up these special abilities so that you can do like one-hit takedowns on characters. That's pretty neat. You can't, however, do it if they have like a shield bar on them and characters that have shield bars on them take a long time to get that shield off of them before you can do your dropkick maneuver. They also decide to throw just tons of enemies at you if you're not completing your objectives in several parts. Uh, and usually they are ones with shields, and they are ones with, like, miniguns on them that will rip your health down in a matter of seconds, uh, and you have to try and close the gap on them, uh, because you're probably out of ammunition. You, you run out of ammunition pretty quickly in the game. There's also a lot of characters that are going to simply try to come up to you and just hit you repeatedly, uh, which is, is not something that you do much of in the game. You have some melee weapons, but it's more focused on the, uh, the guns. So you're dealing with a lot of melee uh, for that. And what I started to realize pretty quickly is... Easiest way to deal with most of the enemies in the game is run them over when you're in the car. Why get out of the car when you can just commit murders? Yeah. <laughs> like, they do They do something interesting in one of the missions. 
where you're trying to take on one of these gangs, they use a lot of monster trucks. And the monster trucks are neat because the monster truck, the monster trucks, literally, you run over a car and the car explodes underneath you and you just keep going. It just destroys everything. Um, and I was like, oh, this is really sweet. I certainly hope I get this monster truck. Well, you use the monster truck for that mission, and then it's just not there anymore. I don't know if you ever get the monster truck stack, but I was That's like, lame. come on, guys. You couldn't just let me keep the monster truck, man. I, why do I have to? I'm going to have to wait, aren't I? I'm going to have to wait for the monster truck to unlock way into the future. I love the running things over part. You could have just let me keep doing that. Um, it's silly. They're trying to be grounded. Yeah, but it, see, the thing is, okay, this is the other big problem with the game. It's tonally inconsistent. Because on the one hand, they're trying to be very grounded by the standards of Saints Row games in the past. But I will remind you that the game starts with you as part of a paramilitary contract organization that's openly just fighting a war in the city that you are in and the end of that mission is you getting onto the top of a plane for the guy you're pursuing hanging off of the jet in various places and doing shooting galleries for the guys that are shooting at you so that you could try to punch the plane down and get the guy out like this is the first mission this is your first day on the job so so immediately you're like Okay, how seriously are we actually taking this? There's this there's this interest I think they have in trying to make a more grounded storyline of just like these these kids that don't seem to really know how to start a criminal organization, starting a criminal organization, which is kind of a neat idea, but they also need to be wacky enough that it feels like a Saints Row game. <laughs> I feel like they should have just had it be like Saints Row take place in a different time period or like with a different gang this is definitely a different gang but they still want it to be like under the saints row brand which i don't i don't know i think volition wants to keep the brand alive is what it, and they keep the brand alive but... they they want saints row to survive and i understand that it's a good series the problem is is that they kind of they kind of screwed themselves because after four there's nowhere to go like like, literally, the, the end of the game in Saints Row 4 is where the Saints realize that they can time travel, and they go back in time to recruit famous people from the past to be members of the Saints, like, and rebuild Earth. They can rebuild Earth from the start. And I guess that's the whole point, is that the new Saints Row takes place in the rebuilt world after the Saints can go back in time. Probably would have been better with trying to do a little bit like what they did with Agents of Mayhem, which was like a follow-up, which still took place in the same kind of world as Saints Row, but had a whole different agency and a whole different, like, play style to it. Um, hey, what, the, what they should have done is had it take place in a parallel Saints Row universe. Yes. <clears throat> and what you do is have it play like it, you know, like it did in this mm. game for yeah. the first quarter, and then someone comes through a fucking time rift. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't play the whole thing through to the end. Maybe that's part of the storyline in the end. I don't know. I I was I was probably 10 hours or so into the game. It was a free trial weekend. So I took them up on that. I was like, yeah, no, I'll uh, I'll try it out. You know, it, graphically it looks good and everything unless you get real close to textures where you're like, mm, those those 
those don't look great when you're up close. But the landscapes look fine. The driving is okay. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that I basically say about the new Saints Row where it's like it's okay. Like if you if you played the previous Saints Row games and you were looking for something as good as like Saints Row Three, it is it no. It's not going to be that. It's not going to be Saints Row 3. If you were looking for a game that had, like, the flavor of Saints Row, you're probably going to be okay with it. But it's kind of the difference between, like, Coke and Coke Zero. Or, like, New Coke. It's New Coke. The new Saints Row is the new Coke of the Coca-Cola market. Okay, so what we're doing is we're going, hey, we're branding this to New Coke. And people are going to go, oh, we hate that. And then they're going to go, oh, by the way, we're bringing back Coke Classic now. I don't think it's new Coke. I think it's Coke Clear. Remember when they did Coke oh, Clear? Crystal Pepsi. The Crystal Pepsi. Yes, the Crystal Pepsi. It's the Crystal Pepsi of the Saints Row franchise. I think I think new Coke is a better <laughs> one because then they can come out with a DLC and go, hey, look, it's the Saints Row Classic experience. I will say that if they really wanted to get people back on board, they would create, like, a DLC pack where you could just play Johnny Gat. People would absolutely love that. I'm traveled Johnny Gat. Exactly. Um, it's not rising to the levels of, like, the out-of-control set pieces that they had in previous Saints Row games. And I feel like the new Saints Row game is trying to both be taken seriously and also be, a, like, a Saints Row insanity sort of game. It, it can't Almost like they don't know who their audience is. Which is weird, because this is still being done by Volition. It's the yeah. same company that's been doing it all the time. I understand why they made the game the way they made the game. I just don't think that it lands the way they wanted it to. And that's unfortunate. If you were to just look at it as just, it's an open world game, and I'm going to tool around in an open world game, it's serviceable. Sure. I feel like if you're uh, aiming it at people who are not already fans of the Saint Row series, then it's probably decent. But if you're aiming... But people who are already fans of the Saints Row series are the ones who are going to be going out of their way to To buy a game that says Saints Row. Right. Um, Right. Whereas me, who has not played Saints Row and wasn't going to pick it up anyways, making it more grounded isn't going to make it appeal to me. Right. If it was going to appeal to me, I would want to play the other games too. Right. And, and you know? one, one of the reasons why their initial uh, try to do Saints Row as more of a grounded, like, gangster story when they first did it was they, they saw Grand Theft Auto. The problem is, is that the original Saints Row is never going to be Grand Theft Auto. And they realized that, which is why in subsequent entries, they went way more silly and off the rails and absurdist. At the end of the day, though, I just look at it and kind of go, you know, it was fine. I had some fun with it. There were some interesting concepts that they could probably expand upon. But if we're just looking at it as an open world game, there are much better examples of that that you could play. And if you're looking at it in terms of a Saints Row title, it is nowhere near as good as the last couple that came out. So it's one of those situations where it's serviceable, but I can't recommend that people would play it because whatever you're looking for, there's something better out there for you. (laughs) Um, But at any rate, I am curious, though, if anyone did pick up or play or have any information about Saints Row. And more importantly than that, uh, if you answer any question, I'd be interested in knowing what is the best installment of the Saints Row franchise. Because uh, for me, it's going to be like either three or four and I'm probably looking at three.
So this has been an episode of Total Pebble Knockdown. And thank you for joining us. Uh, Alex, if folks would like to find out more information about TPK, where can they go? If you would like to find out more information about what we do, feel free to go over to TotalPebbleKnockdown.com. Yeah, and when you are there, feel free to click on our Patreon banner because we do have one of those. Uh, If you are one of our patrons, you can get uh, all of this information out early as well as additional content that doesn't usually release to the public, probably for good reasons. Um, and, uh, and you could also find us on every podcast app known to mankind. You can also find us on social media. I am at Citanium. I am at EXP Limited, and our show is over at Pebble Knockdown. Yes, exactly. So check us out over there for all the latest Pebble-based news. Uh, until next time, when we have more Pebbles that we need to avoid, uh, thank you for joining us. We will see you on the next one. And Nathan out. Decrest out. Drop the drop the mic. Drop. Don't the do mic. that. That messes up the calibration on the inside. Oh, oh, okay. It's bad for the mics. I won't drop the mics anymore. Okay. Perfect. A theor- Okay, okay. Phantom mic drop. TPK out. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Perfect. Uh, well, actually, no, not direct mod support. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but th- there were there were other mods that were being done. No, there there was one thing that they actually did add in. Uh, well, there were a lot of things, but one of them that was highly popular was the mods of the guns. So yes, you are right on that. <laughs> yes, that kind of mod. Okay, the gun mods. Roundabout, uh, but I was right. Got it. Great. I'm going to make that sound like you're really smart when I edit this. (laughs) Thanks.